Owen Marbury was part owner of an IT service business. Now he's locking horns with his ex-partner Devin and fighting for his reputation and his freedom. But when Michaela Stanford, his former college bestie and crush, walks back into his life, he's reminded of the fire that still burns between them. As their 20-year college reunion approaches, they have a chance to rekindle their friendship and explore love once again. But Owen's battle with Devin is getting in the way of pursuing things with Michaela. With Devin breathing down their necks and threatening their lives, Owen must decide whether to give in or fight for his heart's desire. This is the premise of Secret Second Chances, a friends to lovers second chance romance available on Amazon on March 5th. Pick up your copy today. This is the Nerdy Romantics Podcast, and I'm your host, Y.M. Nelson. episode of the Nerdy Romantics podcast is a review of the new movie The Batman starring Robert Pattinson. This episode will contain spoilers so if you haven't watched The Batman and you don't want to be spoiled then take a moment go see the movie and then come back and join us for the discussion. Hello, Nerdy Romantics. Today we are talking The Batman, the newest installment in the Batman franchise of DC movies, starring Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, Jeffrey Wright is Lieutenant Jim Gordon. Colin Farrell is Oz, otherwise known as the Penguin. And Paul Dano is the Riddler. So today we're going to talk about just the different feel of this Batman and what we think about it. We are going to get a little nerdy about that as well. And even though we are not comic book readers here, we will talk a little bit about comic books in this one. There's an Easter egg crossover that I just thought was really cool that brought me back to a previous episode of this podcast. And we're just gonna gush about who our favorite Batman is and what we think about this one. I have with me today Jen, nerdy romantic guest host Jen. Jen, what's up with you? I I am doing great. I'm so excited to be here and to talk about this movie with you. Oh, I love it. I love this movie so much more than I thought I was going to. I'm in. I'm ready for this. Yes, I did too. I, I was very surprised. I, I knew I was going to talk about it because of course we have this series going on DC TV and movies in the podcast. So I said, oh, I got to watch this Batman. <laughs> and I did say it just like that. 
but <laughs> because I felt a little bit ambivalent about Robert Pattinson as Batman. So I am of the Michael Keaton Batman era and loving that Batman. No, I'm not old enough for the Adam West Batman, although I, I have seen <laughs> reruns of that. But I'm not a fan of the, the campy Batman. But when I think Robert Pattinson, and I think everybody kind of does this, especially us romance novel readers and the like, we think Twilight. Everybody does it. Come on. If you don't know, I am not a Twilight fan. Obviously, because when Twilight came around, I was too old for Twilight in, in anyway. But I am also a big nerd, if you didn't realize that. I mean, I'm hoping <laughs> you realize this by now. I'm a big nerd, and Vampire Sparkling is not part of vampire lore. That is not why they shy away from the light, because they sparkle. So I, have an, I had an issue with that. I'm very sorry, actually, that I did that because I went into this and I was like, oh gosh, what am I getting into? But I was actually surprised. I really did like this Batman. I like this Batman a lot. Jen, tell me about how you felt going into it. I was hesitant too because I just felt like, and it's it's not fair to Robert Pattinson, but he does bring a fair amount of baggage to the to the role, right? Yes. And yes. what type of what type of character he's going to bring, what his acting style is. And Batman movies are action movies, right? There's always tons of stunts and that type of thing. Yep. And Mr. Pattinson as an actor has sort of he's definitely like separated himself from from the Twilight series which, you know, launched him in in so many ways, but he's done He's done all kinds of different, different sorts of movies, but they always seemed very, and probably what, what makes him good for this role, in fact, is that a lot of them just seemed very, um, very intimate, very indie style. Yeah. And, and very much sort of a character exploration in a way that, that we really yeah. didn't see that from him in Twilight. As an actor, they just always have to make their, make their choices and sort of decide how they want to. Um, how they want their career to, to be, you know, a lot of the stuff, the indie stuff that he was in wasn't necessarily what I was looking for in a movie at the time. So I didn't see a lot of it. I watched, you know, trailers or, or that kind of stuff. It was just sort of around at the time, but I really haven't seen him on screen. So when I found out he yeah. was going to be in this movie, I thought, huh, what an interesting choice. There's so many folks out there that are, that can do action movies that you think of in that you know, the boxing and the jumping and the, like all the fighting and all that type of thing that has to go along yeah. with, um, with being the Batman. And I thought, you know, that's just not how, that's not how I see him, but you know, all right. Other people are seeing something that I'm not, and I'm willing to give it a try. But for me, one of the reasons I was willing to give it a try is that I love detective movies. I love detective right? stories. Like, mm. That is a big thing for me. I love yep. those kinds of those kinds of shows. And then I find out that they're going like this noir. Noir a lot of times is used in popular media in the wrong way. Yeah. And they mean it because they just mean that like it's kind of dark. You know, like they've put a right. filter over stuff and they've made it dark and that makes it noir, which isn't really yeah. um what noir means. 
is not. Right. And so I was kind of concerned that they were going, cheesy is not quite the right word, but the DC movies have been pretty uneven, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I haven't felt like they've, they just haven't grabbed me in the same way that some of the other superhero movies have. I felt like DC TV has done some really great writing, some really great characters, really, you know, sort of bringing some fresh stories to to television where the movies have been, they've been really uneven, really uneven. Yeah. And so this one, I was like, okay, are we going to do something cheesy with the dark, you know, with it being like dark and where are they going with this? And are they going to try and be sort of like too cartoony with this? Yeah, like campy. Yeah. Campy. Yeah. 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 Campy was really kind of was my concern because it just didn't feel um, I mean, camp can be great. I love me a campy movie. So I but I was really not sure that in in the hands of some of the folks in the DC movie world that that was going to come off really well. So when I watched this movie, I was extremely pleasantly surprised. I was 100 percent in. I was watching the trailers before um, before it came out and I was like, this is looking very, very cool. So mm-hmm. then when it did come out, my husband and I actually went to the movie theater to see it. Awesome. It might have been our first in-theater movie in a very long time. Wow. <laughs> it might have been. It was It was definitely one of them because um, we were just getting back into the theaters and they were opening. And so to see it on the big screen, honestly, was was really fantastic because it's a three hour movie. It doesn't seem like you really want to sit through that long of a movie. But yeah, man, I didn't notice. That was another thing is that I was worried about the pacing of this movie, that it was going to get boring. And, you know, where are they really going with this? But the length of it was really necessary because to really make it a noir movie with the atmosphere, the way that the scenes were shot there's not a lot of dialogue. So there's actually a lot that goes on just with the music. There's a lot that goes on in the silence. There's a lot that goes on to just watch and be a part of, which when you think about, you know, when you think about Batman makes perfect sense because he spends a lot of time watching and observing people. Yes. So you have to be quiet. You have to be in that surveillance mode. And what they did with the camera angles and the the scene setups to make you feel like you were right there with Batman trying to watch, not being able to fully see what was happening, sort of watching between the walls or between the um, other interference. It just made the movie so engaging and just like enveloped you in that world. And I was so impressed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, me too. I was so surprised and so impressed that I actually, I watched this, by the way, I watched this um, on HBO Max and it is now on HBO Max um, at the time of this recording. There are a few extras on HBO Max and one of the extras is, it's called uh, The Batman Genesis. In other words, it's basically the, one of the main producers talking about, you know, creating the movie. And I was so, after I finished watching it, I was like, I need something else. I need something else. So I started watching these. (laughs) I'm like, I need to know more about how this came out because it's so good. You know, you mentioned noir and the detective style, which you get that right away. You probably even get that before you go in if you actually watch or look at a little bit of 
internet stuff around it, it probably tells you that. But I tried I tried to go in this with kind of blinders on. Already oh, had, absolutely. I already had my my reservations because of Robert Pattinson, but I wanted to like because I have a tendency to do that research thing a little bit too much and almost spoil the movie for myself. So I didn't want to do that. But afterwards, I really wanted to do that. I really (laughs) wanted to look up everything. You know, so the producer is the uh, producer and director that they had on doing most of this Genesis Extra talked about how he came up with that whole detective concept and he started from the very first appearance of Batman the very first you know Batman comic and from there he built on to that whole detective vibe which we don't always get that detective vibe in the other Batmans and so exactly yeah yeah If you're, you know, if you're not, if you're just watching Batman on, you're getting a little bit of that. Well, he's, you know, he's a superhero kind of, you know, he's, he's really a guy with a lot of cool tech, but, um, you know, he doesn't have superpowers or anything, but, um, you know, you get a little bit of the detective vibe, but you don't really get the fact that this dude is really a detective. I mean, the superhero vigilante part of him is kind of acting out this is what i can do when i'm not known as bruce wayne because everybody knows bruce who bruce wayne is i feel like in a lot of the other movies they lean too heavily on this computer that knows everything about everybody right right and so all he has to do is go check in with the you know check in with the back computer and he can find any person in the city exactly knows their entire history, who they're connected to. There's no mystery in any of it. It's sort of like, it's almost like that becomes the filler in between the stunts. Right, it's that. And then of course, in the Chris Nolan, the Dark Knight whole series, it's always been somebody helping Bruce Wayne, Batman, to figure these things out. You know, mm-hmm. they you, he has the bat computer, he has the tech, right? But then it's, it's Morgan Freeman's character, which is, I'm getting lost on the name right now, but his last name is Fox. Um, mm-hmm. his, his character's last name is Fox. He's always had somebody helping him. And in this particular Batman, it's like, there's nobody helping him. You know, Bruce Wayne has these detective skills. He's actually doing the looking, putting these things together of what is happening to in order to catch the bad guys right and i love that and kind of getting back to this this extra the producer talks about you know that first batman comic and about the detective vibe and i'm thinking i'm not a comic book reader so where did the detective vibe come from come from and it turns out that the first appearance of batman in 1939 is in a detective story that is how he is put out there in 1939. He is the greatest detective. That's the basis for this whole character. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. where it comes from. And so the fact that we go back to that kind of era, and two, it, it's kind of interesting that Batman was created in 1939. The noir film cinematic thing that that happens is in the 1940s 1950s 
you know, Jen's right. It's not just about making things go dark. There's some signature things that they do. When they first start out in this movie, it's kind of that narrator thing going on. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's like classic noir. It's like the main character, the detective is narrating his thoughts, right? Right. And so he does that in specific points throughout. And of course he does it at the end, you know, to kind of sum up everything. And that that is straight noir film right there. It's, it's classic. It's not just that this movie is dark. It, it has the actual markers of a noir film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other big things with a noir film too, is that there's, so there's a whole plot line that's happening, but there's also this character exploration that's happening. Yes. Where the, usually the main character is the one who is finding out something about themselves that they never put together and they never realized. Yeah. It's like, it's like existential. Yes. (laughs) Good job. That's exactly the word. Yes. Yeah. They're having, they think that they're just sort of going along and living their lives and, and so forth. And then somewhere along the way, they have this existential realization about who they really are and how they, how they really present themselves to the world and how they, how they view themselves um, internally, as well as, as well as what that actually means. And it, it's that type of exploration, I think, that really sets that whole film category apart. Yeah. So even though he's not relying on necessarily a back computer or anything here, he does have a, there is a lot of cool tech going on. There's a lot of cool tech going on with, with the actual story and actually, you know, putting the story together, like the the whole thumb drive thing. That was funny. (laughs) That was dark, but it was funny. Oh Yeah. They were like thumb drive. And then they were like, looking like, (laughs) are you kidding me right now? Uh I know. know. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Dan was mentioning um, before we started recording that there was also some actual tech that goes into, that went into making this whole film be that noir film, be Mm -hmm. that cool noir film. Tell us about that. Well, I don't know if it, if it really adds so much to the to the noirness, but it definitely goes with Batman's cutting edge technology that he always uses. So, you know, and a lot of these really big, massive films were very used to um, the behind the scenes visuals are always showing them sort of operating on a, a green screen stage, right? So everything that they are walking on, everything that they're touching, it's all green screen. There's like dots all over the place for tracking purposes, that type of thing. And they've definitely, like Hollywood has used that to its advantage. It has, we've been able to go to all the different planets and, and even sometimes when it's, when it's a scene that's taking place within, on, on this planet, they still are able to, to use those stages to, to their advantage to just rig up all kinds of great stuff. What they did in Batman, in the Batman, is instead of the entire background area being green screened, they used LED screens. And what that means is that they were able to to program all these different screens together, and then they're able to show whatever it is they want you to see onto those screens. So that means if the actors are looking out a window at 
Gotham in front of them, that that's what the, that's what the LED screens are showing them, Gotham at night or Gotham at sunset or what have you. And what that does is that it sort of creates a little bit more reality where you don't have that as much of a, of a differentiation between like the green screen that the actors and what that background is eventually going to be. But I think that the other thing that it, that it does is I can only imagine how difficult it is as an actor to be able to act and behave and emote in a room that's basically all green, right? Where everything's fake and you, right. you know, if you need to, you're talking to a, you're talking to tennis ball on a stick, right? Right. Because, oh, we're <laughs> going to add that in post. We're going to add that in post. Instead, what these actors were able to do is that, again, if they were standing there and trying to create a visual of, of the city of Gotham, because there's, there's always a whole thing about how Gotham is, is one of the characters in the movie and, and how it, it plays its own sort of like, it has its own sort of personality. Yeah. Um, the same way that New York City does, that kind of thing. But so what they're able to do is they're kind of able to put that all on screen. And so it gives you a little bit more of an immersive reality for the actors to be in. Right. But because of the way that it's captured on film, it also provides a little bit more, a little bit more reality where you just feel a little bit more ensconced in the city because yeah. it's because it's literally that's what surrounds the actors too. There is a little behind the scenes thing in HBO too, where they talked about this and the way that they were able to sort of change the um, change the lighting and change the visuals. It just gave them a lot more freedom in real time. This is the way we're going to shoot it. We're going to, you know, this is the angles that we're going to have. This is the lighting that we want. And to be able to make all those changes in real time versus making them, you know, a month or two after this scene has been shot. Now we're going to add the visuals later, all that kind of stuff. It just sort of all comes together a little bit, a little bit more uh, realistically, I guess you could say, which I mean, not realistic yeah. because they're still on LED screens, right? There's just like a bunch of Right, stuff but it doesn't head. seem, you know, now that you say that, it doesn't seem that it's like a lot of jump cuts. There are a lot of more, it feels like it's more fluid. Yeah. Especially in like the fight scenes. Exactly. You know, it feels yes. more fluid. You, you know, you mentioned it doesn't necessarily help so much with the noir, but it kind of does help with the detective part because he's doing a lot of looking through, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, binoculars or his tech eye thingies. He's doing a lot of that and he's peering into a lot of different places as yeah. he's doing his whole detective bit. And that seemed very realistic. Like, oh, yeah. like we were oh, actually yeah. there looking through. So, I, you know, I guess that worked. You know, the me. other thing that gets added too for them is that is, I mean, Batman has, he's got a cool motorcycle. He's got a cool car. He's yeah, all this kind of thing. So there are definitely some chase scenes right in the movie. Oh my God. Go watch that behind the scenes thing because you'll be shocked at how they shot some of that stuff those cars are not moving. I, that is so surprising to me. Oh yeah. They've got, <laughs> oh my I mean, gosh, those so actors surprising. are in the car and they've got these LED screens all around them. And on the LED screen, the, the city is driving, is going by fast. So they can set it up in so many different ways for the actors, excuse me, to interact with, but they're able to, the actor stays still in the 
the city moves around them. So all the different effects that they're able to do with the fire or with, right. with uh, things coming at you, all that kind of good stuff. Oh, right. It's pretty phenomenal. Right. I love watching behind the scenes stuff. I love sort of watching how things get made. I don't want to see any of it beforehand. Oh but yeah. After no. I've seen the movie. Oh um, yeah. I want to know it all. Yeah, I want to see all the Especially, yeah. See, you yeah. know, it's a good movie when you want to see all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, especially if it's like an action movie. And that's kind of how it was at the end of this. And I was thinking, you know, when I saw that it was three hours, I was like, oh Lord, three hours. Are you kidding me with this? But I then know, we were all the, worried. Yeah, but then at the end of it, I was like, okay, that was three hours. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I will say though, I um I watched the first hour and then I stopped because I had to. It was a time constraint. I had to stop. And so I ended up watching it one hour and then two hours. But still at the same time, if it if the pacing is off or if the story is off or if it's not interesting, it doesn't matter. If you break it up into a million pieces, you're going to feel like this is too long. But that's not what I felt at the end of this. I mean, I loved this movie. I can't, you know, I can't say it enough. I, I You know, I, I will say this. Yes, Jen, I'm, I'm totally with you and, and everybody else is, feels the same way. DC and their movies are very uneven. I think part of it is uh, over the years, I mean, they've had different production companies. They don't have that seamlessness that Marvel has or that Marvel had with the with the whole Avengers and with everything that they have had coming after it. You know, a lot of people are like, why isn't Spider-Man on Disney Plus? And I keep trying to tell people Spider-Man came out before the whole MCU thing happened. And uh, it's just it's just a nerd thing. And then, you know, the whole (laughs) it's so nerdy. And then the whole X-Men thing with Fox and Marvel and Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that's why X-Men, that's why a few of those movies, I feel like those were uneven. When Marvel came out with the whole MCU and the and Iron Man, you know, being the first thing, from what I've gathered over internet research, they planned out that whole first 10 years mm-hmm. that we got. They they planned that whole thing out. And so that's why it happens in a seamless way. That's why the tones of the movies are consistent. Exactly. DC doesn't really have that. Right. So that's why we get this unevenness to a certain extent. But but, you know, there are a few times where it's like there are a few movies and a few maybe shows that I know DC doesn't want to go in this way, but their characters to me lend itself to go in this way. And this is one of those movies, this whole this is. It, it's noir, yes, but it's also dark. This movie is rated PG-13, and it is as close to R as you can get and still be PG-13, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's where DC kind of needs to live. They're not like Marvel in the fact that Marvel likes to do that whole, we're serious, but we're a little sarcastic along the way. They love their sarcastic quips. They mm-hmm. love that 
it's serious, but it, it and it's at but it's actiony and it has yeah. a little bit of camp over the top, but not a lot. The camp right. is like almost like a parody. They're parodying themselves, kind of thing, and They're that's where, aware. yeah, and and, yeah. and that's where they live. You know, mm-hmm. that's where Marvel lives and that's where they shine. And I think with DC, I think everything that I've seen that really shines from DC is dark. It has a little dark edge to it. And I know that that's hard to hear, DC, mm-hmm. <laughs> because what that does is it tends to take that whole family vibe out of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but th- these are your characters. These are these are what your characters, I think, do best. I mean, this this movie is noir, but it's also dark. I'm also thinking about the. I'm also thinking about the Watchmen on HBO. That was oh, a little yeah. dark. We just talked about Titans, and that, Titans is amazing to me, but Titans is HBO definitely, and it's not for kids. Exactly. So, yeah. Know, I think a lot of what they do is and that they really do well. It tends to be dark. And even with the Dark Knight Batman series, that series, that was PG-13, yes, but it was also it was also dark. It had a dark undercurrents in it. And there are a few sarcastic quips or whatever, but it was not it was not campy it was not light exactly and i thought that was you know one of the the better ones i did say michael keaton in the beginning but you know i was a kid when that came out well relatively a kid when that came out so i got to see that one that's the thing i like bat i like michael keaton as batman yeah so michael keaton's having a moment here because he was in that movie birdman Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Where he plays, he was like, I, I, play, I used to play a superhero, and now I'm like old, so you know, I'm not cool <laughs> yeah. anymore. That was a yeah. great movie, though. It was. It a was. Great movie. Highly recommend that to everybody. And then, then he ended up playing the bad, one of the bad guys in, um, in one of the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, I thought he did. That was fantastic there. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yes. That was good a, there. That was a really good. I love that Spider-Man movie. Anyway. Back to, I think back I think to, a lot of people Batman. love. We're getting way off topic. <laughs> we are getting way off topic, but we we but, out. This is what we do, y'all, and um, and we know that you're doing it at home out there. We know y'all are doing it, so we're okay, just have, we're just I do joining have a in. about Marvel versus DC real quick. Yes, we, yeah. yes. So just the thing about Marvel versus DC, I kind of feel like what happened is that is that Marvel spent a lot of time figuring out that they wanted to do this whole MCU, this Avengers yeah. timeline thing, right? That this is where they wanted to go. And admittedly, you know, when they put out the first couple of movies, maybe they were absolutely like exact on that full 11 year arc. Maybe they weren't, but I tend to think that they were, they were like, okay, in an ideal world, these are the things that we're going to do. If we can get it right at the beginning, they'll keep giving us money and we'll be able to make these movies the way that, that Kevin Feige, who's who's in charge of the MCU has kind of this vision, right? And I feel like what DC saw was that Marvel had all, had this whole like interconnected world that they were getting traction with that was popular that they were. And DC was like, oh, we have to jump on this train. 
So rather than having like this larger arc, rather than having like a person or a small team that was really responsible for choosing the stories that they were going to tell and the order that they were going to tell them and, and what the end, well, literally the end game for, um, for Marvel, but, but what that end game was supposed to look like for DC, I feel like DC instead was like, oh, hey, the Justice League is like that. So let's do, we got a Batman movie. Let's do a Superman movie. Let's do a Wonder Woman movie. Like, like get them all in this and get them all in the same movie. Like do all that. And so they were in this, in this um, sort of needing to catch up to the fact that there was this whole Marvel wave that was happening. And, and so it doesn't come, it, it's just not as, as well integrated and, and doesn't have the same feel as the, as a lot of the stuff that they were able to do in Marvel, because Marvel had sort of made a lot of decisions ahead of time. And they had, yeah. they had the people in place that could veto certain decisions about, oh, maybe we want to do it this way. Maybe we want to do it this way. They're like, no, 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 no. There's a vision. There's a path. We're going to stay on the path. Right. And right. DC just didn't have that. And at the same time, they did. While they wanted to, they wanted to like catch that wave of superhero movies are popular. They also wanted to be different than Marvel. They didn't want to do the same thing, right. which makes sense. Obviously, you don't you don't necessarily want to do exactly the same thing. But I think that's one reason why we see the tone overall of the movies as having it's just a really different perspective than what you see in a lot of the Marvel movies. I mean, the Marvel, the MCU. Um, phase one starts off with Iron Man and like Robert Downey Jr., who is so sarcastic and so, you know, all kinds of quips every yep. other line, right? Exactly. Versus, you know, where DC kind of started. And so they have, they just have very different outcomes as a result. I watched them all with my kids. There's not, you know, there's something about them that is, while there's a certain amount of violence, it's so, it's so superhero violent that it's not like real violence as opposed to something that's a little bit more on the personal level. You know what I mean? Right. Um, that might still have and a 13 rating, but is feels yeah. a lot more uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's not as violence focused. It's like, this is the action that we need to move the story. Yeah. Versus some of DC stuff is kind of violence focused. Yeah. And it feels very um, conflict for the sake of conflict. Yeah. The whole thing with Batman and Superman being at odds with each other is not that it isn't in in some of the comic books, I suppose, but the way that most of us know them, I don't know about you, but I definitely grew up on Saturday morning cartoons. I definitely watch um, every single episode of Justice League, the super mm-hmm. cheesy 1970s Justice League that was out. <laughs> I watched all of that. I was all about that. I watched the Wonder Woman TV show. Absolutely. A hundred percent. But it was very difficult for me to watch uh, Superman versus Batman and watch those two fighting with each other. And I'm like, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel like the characters that I know. It feels like, it feels like somebody is trying to create conflict in a place where there were so many other directions they could have gone. Right. So many other bad guys that they could have pulled onto the screen. Exactly. And instead they, they spent their, they spent all this time and money and energy creating you know, Superman and Batman are enemies and somehow the military is involved. And, um, and I was like, guys, guys, oh, well, yeah, you know, and I think, yeah, it does happen in the comics somewhere, but that's the thing about the comics. It's like, 
These comics have been out since 1939. DC has a serious multiverse going on. And there are a lot of stories that intertwine. And in one of them, yes, Batman and Superman may be fighting in one of those. I think they are. And that's where we get sure. this. There's thousands of them, so surely in some in some it, version of the universe, they are not they are not friends. But exactly, but this is not the way to kind of build on what you think that they're trying to do with the DCU, which is trying to create that kind of dynasty kind of feel that that MCU had you mentioned you know the whole mcu and the vision and everything like that part of the lack of vision has to do with the directors that they that they bring on and not just who they bring on but what they maybe they just say okay we're going to give you free reign um oh we don't like this i mean like for instance the whole Zack snyder thing Zack Snyder's Justice League and, and, and whatever else, you know, that happens and, you know, all of that stuff that goes on. It, it was a lot of production team stuff that happened there that kind of overshadowed the whole movies, you know, that they were trying to, you know, I just didn't even hear about that happening on the MCU side. Like if you look at the Harry Potter movies, you could tell a little bit when they shift directors. But yeah, but, but, but you can't is, really tell had, a lot, right? There was a team that was like responsible exactly. for making sure there was consistency, yes. you know, kind of throughout. Yeah. And because the the characters were supposed to be aging, you know, I mean it kind of makes sense that they uh behaved a little bit differently or, you know, things were a little bit different in the way that they um and the way that school was run or how they interacted with their professors or um, instructors, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was believable when the, when the changes happened, like when they, when they went, you know, like Chris Columbus in the first two or three movies, I mean, those kids are really young in those movies, but, you know, as they grow up into like the, you know, like the uh, fourth movie and, and on, you can kind of tell there's a little shift, but the shift is believable. And two, they stay pretty consistent with everything that we kind of see. You know, exactly. it's yeah, it's like we're still in we're still in this world. These characters are still the same. They're they're just evolving, right? But exactly. here we we get different. You know, it's it's differences. There's differences happening. You know, I think that with the DCU, they they kind of got a little of an uphill battle. They had a had a little bit of an uphill battle anyway because these characters are more. We relate to these characters more in real world sense. Like okay. if you're if you're not a comic book reader, you still know who Wonder Woman is, right? Exactly. Yeah, but you may not know who Doctor Strange is from Marvel, right? These right. characters are more. We've had more real world live action. We've had a lot of exposure to these characters in a lot of different scenarios. So when you're trying to create that whole DCU kind of thing with these very recognizable characters obviously a they're going to be compared to whatever happened last 
and mm-hmm. then B, you're really going to have to focus on making them consistent, which did not happen here, which blows the whole thing apart. And then, <laughs> and then C, you know, there's a multiverse. So you need to stick to one universe if you're going to DCU. If there's going to be a DCU arc, you need to kind of stick to one universe, do one kind of thing there and go with that. Part of the reason why the MCU thing does work is because we, as in the non-comic book reading public, have not been exposed to the Avengers as much. I grew up on, I totally grew up on, while you were watching Justice League, I was watching X-Men. I was watching those X-Men comics. That, that's how I, (laughs) that's how I got into this whole nerd out thing. Um, I was watching X-Men comics and then there was this show called Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And it doesn't, there's not a comic book. There wasn't a comic book before this show. They took Spider-Man and then they made some characters around his amazing friends or not in the comics, but they might be in the comics now. But yeah, so when you have kind of that whole we have all of this exposure and we've seen these characters in different ways and everybody has their favorites. You know, I, I, of course with me, I also grew up on live action Wonder Woman. Linda Carter is, was it for me. Absolutely. when (laughs) When we see Wonder Woman on screen, you know, so I, you know, I will say this is totally going off subject of the Batman, but um, I will say, you know, even though the second Wonder Woman was a little bit of a letdown, you know, seeing Linda Carter at the end, yeah, I just spoiled that for y'all. Seeing Linda Carter at the end was just so, so Easter egg, awesome, cool, <laughs> right? So it's those little things that they're gonna have to think about. They need to think maybe they should just embrace the fact that there's this legacy going on either that or go the dark route because this this dark route is kind of where there are stories there's a very rich story with a lot of these characters and their stories tend to be dark and i think too you know if you embrace that and kind of go with that that works too right like there's nothing wrong with telling dark stories like right there's so many great reasons to explore those dark um those dark stories but yeah i just felt like they didn't have but that they didn't know that that's what they wanted to do i guess yeah they felt like a lot of times the dc movies just kind of came at it more like i want to be different right versus i have a plan for who i am now, yeah. I do think, I don't know where they're going from here. I'm going to be honest. I have no clue where they're going from here. I don't have any insight into what DC has planned, but that's one of the one, that's one reason why I was nervous to go into the Batman movie because I just felt like, oh gosh, they don't, uh, all right. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to see it. But I think one of the things that I'm excited about after seeing it is, is the realization that they can tell, they can tell a story where Bruce Wayne and Batman have to look inside themselves and decide who they are. They can tell a really deep story. They can tell a story that has fantastic action and and so forth without needing to like incorporate it into into Justice League necessarily. They can tell right. it as a separate 
as a separate like standalone. Exactly. I mean, they'll work. Now, I think that there yeah. are plenty of other other like characters that they can go explore because how many Batman movies do we really need? Um, <laughs> right. But I think that when you tell a fantastic story, that that is going to bring people to. It's going to bring people to the theaters. It's going to bring people to your to your world, your universe. And I feel like this is a movie that happened outside of the Justice League universe. Um, yes. I don't think that I don't think that we're going to see Robert Pattinson and Jason Momoa in a movie together. Well, no. not in a Justice League movie together, anyway. I don't think that's kind of where this is headed, which is kind of a um, I have mixed feelings about that because I do want to continue to see the Justice League develop. I want to continue to see um, more stories being told and see where they want to take it. But I really want them to have a plan for those that bigger those bigger stories. And where the Batman feels like it was a very self-contained. Yes. They definitely like left it. Um, If you guys haven't seen it yet, there's, there's definitely a little bit at the end that implies that there is going to be more of this. And I don't know what Robert Pattinson's contract is that he signed as to how many movies he's, he's going to be in, um, in, in this world and as this progresses, but, but it definitely feels like something that is separate from, uh, from what we're getting in Justice League at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I feel like coming away from this, I feel like this was a Batman reboot for me. And this is rebooting, especially looking at the end of it and kind of how that that ending kind of leaves you thinking they might do part two and part three and all of this other stuff. And, you know, we can, we can see some more going on here at the end. To me, that's kind of exciting, especially considering that we've got Robert Pattinson as Batman, Bruce Wayne, which I was pleasantly surprised by. And we've got Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle. She is perfect in this role. I'm sorry. Oh my God. She oh my is- God. We oh, haven't even nice. talked about Zoe Kravitz yet. She and and, and I'm talking. I'm going to talk about her now. We're 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 going to talk characters. Um, I know I probably said this in the beginning, but there are spoilers, and we might do a few spoilers here. You know, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle. I have not seen a Catwoman as energizing and as good except for Eartha Kitt. <laughs> Julie Newmar is a close second. I'm, the, the, these are, this is how I rank Catwoman. Eartha Kitt, number one. Julie Newmar, number two. Zoe Kravitz is kind of, right now, she's kind of in between there. <laughs> she's in between these two ladies. I mean, and that that's only because, you know, the other two ladies, they had a history. They, these yeah. are these were iconic characters for them. And of course, this is only one movie that we've seen Zoe Kravitz play Selena Kyle. But she did that thing, y'all. Oh my god, she was so uh, good. Amazing. So good. What we get here is, again, for us non-comic book readers, we get the complexity of the relationship between Batman and Catwoman. We haven't always gotten that in other movies. Catwoman has always been, and and even, even though us nerds know that Catwoman is complex, she's not 
she's not a villain. She's more like an anti-hero. Right. You yeah. know? And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we know this going in, but seeing her being portrayed in different movies, it makes her two-dimensional. And she's not a two-dimensional character. Just like, she's almost like a foil of Batman to me. Yes. Yeah. And we don't see that anywhere in the movies or in the TV shows necessarily. We, but you really do see that here. You see yes. that she is a foil of Batman. She's complex like Batman. She's got issues. She wants to do good. She has these, but, but there's this, there's this bad streak going on and and there's this whole you see this whole dynamic between them and yeah we also know that there's kind of this romantic tension that will always be whatever and right. who knows if if anything happened in the comics again not comic book readers but if it doesn't happen it's it's juicy we, we're we're, <laughs> we're we're cool that if it doesn't happen because it, it could just stay that way because this is how they kind of exist in in my mind they are always wanting and they are all they're foils of each other and yeah and it's just amazing to see that develop but but yeah jen i, I don't want to take up you know i don't want to take up all the time um, no, that's okay. Tell me because... what you think about. Tell me what you think about Selena Kyle and. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I loved about about her. We start we start with her wanting to figure out what happened to her her friend, right? So that's step one. She wants to find out what happened to her friend, but then we find out that there's so much, so many other things that are going on with Selena Kyle. So many reasons as to why she is the way that she is and the the choices that she makes. Because what I think that does for us is it gives us such a, so many more layers to her as opposed to uh, some of the other iterations of Catwoman where she is just, she's just yeah. a cat burglar, right? right. She's there exactly. to, um, you know, she's, she's making her own buck, right? Where this version of Selena Kyle is much more of a vigilante where she is, she is trying to bring justice to a situation where there is no justice. And nobody is, nobody else is going to do it except for her. And I think that's one of the great themes that this movie really plays around with. What um, is, how do we, how is justice enacted? Who gets justice? Um, we have, Selena Kyle is, is a very complicated character in terms of who she is and what she does and the choices that she makes and, and who she is going after full, you know, full barrel right but she primarily is somebody who is trying to protect you know the less powerful somebody who's trying to protect the um if not innocent per se definitely somebody that is um that is at risk and and trying to do the right thing and i think that's kind of what in this version she actually is a lot closer um to the type of character that batman is hoping that he is the type of character that Batman, uh, that Bruce Wayne wants Batman to be, who mm -hmm. is, you know, fighting for the little guy and is trying to bring justice um, to a situation that is very complicated. Right. And I really love that. And then, you know, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the Riddler, 
about, you know, his version of what that looks like. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I love the Selena Kyle, uh, you know, I love (laughs) the things. One of the things with Batman is, you know, you're going to get into some issues, some parent issues, daddy issues, mommy issues, whatever you want to call it. And Selena Kyle's got her version of, yes, <laughs> of how right. her life is complicated too, and how her parents are maybe you know didn't set her up in the healthiest way per se. So, <laughs> right, and you know it's it's funny because you know those issues it actually makes me it gives her backstory that I did not know that she had. And I'm assuming that that's coming straight from the comic book from kind of where the, the producer was kind of, he wanted, he wanted to take it. He was taking as much stuff as he could from the actual comic book, you know, the way yeah. that he was talking. Well, I think like most of the, most of the comics, there's multiple versions of it, right? Yeah. So there that's are, it. there that's are the multiple thing. different, um, different, backstories for Catwoman depending on like which series you pick up so because Catwoman has her own um line of comic books she is exactly she appears in other people in other as a side character in Batman comic books as um and 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 as a um more of a bad guy in some of the uh, in some of like the Justice League type stuff Mm -hmm. so they had I liked that he was, that guy was saying that he went back and just started reading all the comic books in order to sort of see what appealed to him and what spoke to him for this version of it. Because I do get the sense that he kept what he kept, what was sort of appealing to him because when you have literally thousands of comics to choose from and hundreds of storylines that you can pull from, that means that you either tell the story as it is on the page, or it gives you sort of this license to, to be inspired by and to create something new. And I don't know that I don't know the comics well enough to be able to say exactly what he did, but I think that what he did bring something brand new to um, the DC movie universe for sure. Right. It definitely does. It brings, I think it brings a little bit of, you know, that kind of the things that we didn't know before. It yeah. kind of brings that, but then it also kind of layers on things that we love and that we superhero nerds, we kind of want to see in a Batman movie or in a DC movie. We want, to, there are certain things that we want to see, you know? And so like, you know, if you say the Riddler and we don't see the question mark everywhere, then we're mm-hmm. going to wonder, mm-hmm. is this really the Riddler? And I love how that's that's portrayed. The dude is crazy. And so it's without that question mark, it's kind of easy to get him kind of mixed up with Scarecrow every now and then, you know? Yeah, because, yeah, especially in this version. Right. Especially in this version, you can, you can see that maybe they would be the same person. But. Exactly. Because we have those we have those different riddles and he's and batman is trying to crack these codes and things that's a look that's different from scarecrow that's definitely riddler and because we have that signature question mark all over the place you know that's one of those visual easter egg cues that we have to have or nerd out cues not necessarily easter egg that we have to have to know that it's the riddler 
which this is a very dark this is not Jim Carrey Riddler y'all this is this is a very dark version of the Riddler and it has backstory it has I mean just like all the other characters here he has backstory he has layers and he's disturbed and it's all very good so good right yes it is so good what they've done with him you know when Jim Carrey played the Riddler they were in this mode of of a fair amount of camp right happening on screen with the with the green uh spandex bodysuit that he's in and sort of the over just kind of being over the top about everything right and not just Jim Carrey but the the way the penguin was played and presented same idea but when we get this version of the Riddler, they did keep certain elements that were uh, that were similar at the um, to that to that version, where the Riddler believes that he is friends with Batman. So right, in Jim Carrey's exactly. version, he thinks that he and he and Bruce Wayne are like that's his hero like yeah. i'm gonna meet my hero and we're gonna work together and we're just gonna be like buddies right yeah and that's yeah. kind of his that's like that backstory with the jim carrey version and in this version this guy is this guy is not interested in being friends with bruce wayne at all but he sees himself as he thinks that he and bruce he and batman are gonna right. be buddies right exactly oh exactly yeah. He and Batman are just going to fight those Bruce Waynes and, and yes. all those other rich and title people. And yeah, exactly. We are the same. And when he mm-hmm. said that, and, and you start to like, when you start to see classically, uh, when you are, when you're an author, people are, people always say that villains think that they are the hero of their own story. They yeah. think that they are making the best right choices as as humanly possible and the best villains are the ones that you you can see it from their perspective right you understand why right. they have made they may have made terrible choices but at the end of the day but you can understand why they made those terrible choices yep. like as much as i don't want thanos to like snap his fingers and have have half the world have the universe disappear i don't want that to happen but at the same time i'm like he goes you know we're running out of resources and things are crowded and all this other kind of stuff you're like okay i see what you're saying right i don't agree with you but i <laughs> right. think this is a problem there's just a different solution to it right exactly exactly and this riddler this riddler has come across this this massive insider cheating scandal thing right. that happened with embezzlement that's the word i'm trying to say embezzlement <laughs> yeah embezzlement of funds this uh this you know absolutely terrible misuse of funds that were supposed to go to help people and didn't go to help people and so he sees himself as a vigilante that is fighting for the victims right and when you realize that that's what he's doing when he becomes the hero of his own story and you see it from his point of view as opposed to the cops and the bad things that he's doing you're like whoa exactly just whoa so this reminds me of there's this new show that has come on the uh, come on NBC. It's called The End Game. And if you've watched it, this is just it, it just it feels very the Riddler story feels very much like The End Game. When I first started watching it or when I was first told, "Hey, you might want to watch this." 
I got that feeling that this was like The Blacklist, which is also an NBC show that was on for several years. I was like, uh, this kind of feels like that, but it's it, but it's not that. It's, it's a whole vibe. And that's what I get here from the Batman. It's like a whole vibe. It's like the good the good guys are not exactly the good guys that we thought they were. Yeah. And the bad Ooh. guys are really exposing the bad from the good guys kind of feel. Are we siding with the good guys or are we siding with the bad guys? You feel that ambivalence when you're watching that show. You feel that ambivalence here as well. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, I, I want to be on the side of the good guys, but should I be on the side of the good guys? Yeah. Should I be on the side of the bad guys? I mean, People I can see where they've gray. been wronged. Yes. And I think that is what, that's what noir does so much better. Yes. So really well is that, is that it really, it really paints a picture of the world being a lot more gray than we give it credit for. It's so easy to think that, that the world is made of um, good people and bad people, that there's very clearly, you know, an us versus them type of a feeling. And in this movie, particularly, we see so much more gray happening. And as you, as you kind of go down that gray journey, you're like, oh, oh, so who, and how that impacts, how that impacts their own worldview and how that impacts their own, the way that they see themselves as a, as a person. Yeah. 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 So we've talked a lot about dark stuff and we've talked a lot about some heavy stuff. So let's kind of talk about some fun stuff. So first off, I thought it was an Easter egg, but Jen kind of told me it may not exactly be an Easter egg, but it is kind of a crossover kind of cameo feel. Spoiler alert, there's this gang initiation kind of a scene. There's this one guy who is trying to get into this gang and you know the leader of the gang or whatever says what we want you to do is beat up this guy that's waiting for a train you know so this guy is like a little bit hesitant the gang initiative is like a little bit hesitant about wanting to beat up this guy this is what we have to do to to be joined into this gang he's like He's not really sure about it. So there's this tense moment there and I'm looking at the guy and I'm thinking, hey, this guy looks familiar. So mm -hmm. it turns out, absolutely. <laughs> turns out he is, he also plays, this guy also plays Tim Drake from Titans on season three of Titans, which of course we talked about in episode 15, Tim Drake, uh, Jen tells me is actually one of the Robins in the comic book. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's the third Robin in the comic book, Red Robin, right? Right. Yeah. He's the third so, one. So we don't know here in the Batman if he's actually, if something's going to happen with that or if it's just kind of a coincidence, a cameo kind of thing in this movie. But wouldn't that be neat if it did? Right? Um, <laughs> that would be so cool. We get our, awesome. we get Robin in there. 
you know, that was one of the cool things I saw. And, you know, something else I kind of wanted to talk about on a kind of fun, cool vein. So we've talked a lot about Robert Pattinson and in this role and whatever. And I thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun and kind of cool to, to talk about what our favorite Batman is. Mm-hmm. Jen, do you have a favorite Batman? Or do you have a favorite way that you like seeing Batman? Okay. I think my favorite way that I to watch Batman and now, oh shoot, I'm not going to come up with the right title. Shoot. Is, um, is the fairly new like Justice League cartoon that's available. Oh gosh, it's only like 10, 15 years old, but it's available on like the DC channel. If you get the DC channel at all. Okay, yeah. Okay, here's what I love about it. In that series, Bruce Wayne is so clearly, he's, he's very intelligent. He's got his tech, he's got all of his gadgets and stuff. But I love the way that he struggles so hard to interact with the other characters on the on like a personal level and there's a really Mm -hmm. fantastic scene in one of the one of the episodes that that pulls this out and it is he and wonder woman are walking together to go visit superman because it is superman's birthday and wonder woman has brought a present it is beautifully wrapped and they talk about what she got him for and he's like you brought a present he and she goes of course it's it's his birthday i mean what do you have it's not like i would just give him cash or something and she kind of looks at brute she looks at, at batman and he looks back at her and kinda, he looks down at his card and he looks back at her <laughs> and it's just such a wonderful i just love the way that they um beyond like the superhero stuff beyond mm-hmm. the storylines are really good but just beyond that, the way that they've uh, treated him as a human being that is so good in so many ways at his this chosen job of his, but is also so completely out of his element when it comes to being able to interact on a normal basis with normal people. And, mm. um, and that's what I really love about it, because I think that that feels so true to that character. He's clearly, you know, not well adjusted. Right. <laughs> he's not a well-adjusted person he doesn't know how to be friends with people where and then that contrast with wonder woman is just one that's one of my favorite scenes from that series but they also have uh they tell really big stories and i feel like that's also a series that does a good job with wonder woman she has a little bit more of a main character feel versus a side character feel and a lot of the justice league stuff she feels very side character to me which i do not enjoy yeah 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 so yep, that's one of my I, favorite Batmans. My other favorite, I you can't go wrong with Christopher Nolan's Christian Bale, Batman. Love him. Yeah. Love that yeah. whole series as a as like a unit together. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna give it up for Michael Keaton as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I think for me, I think um I have a childhood nostalgia for the for the Michael Keaton Batman. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do. I think the whole Chris Nolan the whole Dark Knight series kind of thing there. I love that as well. I will say here that I like Robert Pattinson as Batman, maybe a little Mm -hmm. more than I like him as Bruce Wayne. I like Christian Bale a lot as Bruce Wayne. And and, and I think part of it is because I always imagine Bruce Wayne as being this, I mean, he's obviously a rich kid, He's an orphan, so he kind of gets to have his way. 
there needs to be this cockiness. There needs to be this arrogance that I don't see the Robert Pattinson Batman having. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the producer director was saying that he kind of wanted him to have like a, a Kurt Cobain kind of feel to him. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting, right. You know, connection that they made. I, Cause I would never have considered Kurt Cobain in, right. In, in that light. Exactly. But like, you, you know, I get the whole tortured genius kind of thing. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I get that because that's kind of what I'm imagining that he's going for with the Kurt Cobain feel because Kurt Cobain had that tortured kind of genius kind of vibe going. It makes sense when he says it. And the fact that, you know, right before I started watching the movie, uh, for some reason, um, I was coming home and I had, and just so happened on the radio, Smells Like Teen Spirit was on. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then, of course, I'm like, okay, yeah, tonight I'm going to watch the Batman or I'm going to at least start watching the Batman. And and then, you know, I start watching and the first thing that comes on is um, a Nirvana song, you know? So I'm like, oh, this is kind of eerie. That was just a side note, but... <laughs> I get it, but that's not how I imagine Bruce Wayne to be. I don't imagine him to be the tortured genius kind of thing. Maybe like within his dark night, you know, when he's going through that, and maybe that's kind of where this is in the in the whole multiverse of it all. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's how he's envisioning it. But I like the Christian Bale cockiness of of Bruce Wayne. Um, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I think he's the best Bruce Wayne as far as that goes. Yeah, we've talked so much about this movie and about all this other geeky, wonderful little stuff. We might need to wrap this up, Jen. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we could keep talking about this for a long time. This is just a great movie. Go see it. Jen, what do you rate this movie on a scale of one star? We didn't like it. Five stars. We thought it was awesome. Oh, gosh. You know what? I'm going to go I'm gonna go with four stars. All right. With four stars. And the reason I, the only reason I'm going to give it four versus five stars, because I did, I really did enjoy it. And it really did surprise me. Is that I feel like a five-star movie is something I would watch 10 times. And I don't know yeah. if I would watch it 10 times. But- no. I thought that because the surprise factor of enjoying it so much more than I was prepared for the surprise factor of, of them actually pulling it off and sticking and and having something that is so completely separate than the rest of the DC movies, that part all just made me so, so happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to four, maybe four and a half stars for sure. What do you think? What was your, what's your rating? Yeah. I'm the thing I'm thinking four four stars for me. The Bruce Wayne part of it is kind of what's taking me away from the five stars. Yeah. Because I just don't see Bruce Wayne like that. But I see so much potential for this to go on to be a few other movies. I see a few other movies with Batman maybe even being off to the side or just being... Or not even being a character necessarily. Just we know he's there kind of thing. 
you see so much potential in other characters to to be mm-hmm. developed here right. and i like the way that this is going now um you know you mentioned justice league and you kind of want that to go on and yeah i do want that to go on do like those actors but i don't see that marrying with this at any point in time no no so so if it's a if it's between which one do we go with i'm going to go with the batman kind of i'm going to see how many installments we can get out of this because it's just so rich with story you're right it surprised me too Mm-hmm. I'm with it. I'm 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 there. I, I would give it four stars. We hope that you enjoyed our very lengthy but very fun geek out session about the Batman, and that you will see it. I'm not sure if it's still in theaters. It is on HBO Max as of this recording. So go out and watch it. So that's it for this episode. Please subscribe to Nerdy Romantics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts to be notified anytime a new episode drops. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate and review. The links are in my show notes at ymnelson.com, along with a lot of other links for books and other items that we talked about on our show. And if you really like what you're hearing, click the buy me a coffee button while you're there to support us. Thank you for listening. Star date, not too distant future. Brandon is a diehard Trekkie. He's watched every Star Trek franchise episode multiple times. He has several cosplay and collectible uniforms in his closet. Commander Will Riker is his favorite cosplay character, and he's been to dozens of conventions. But he's never met or gotten in a fight with another Trekkie like Phoenix. Phoenix is looking forward to her first Star Trek convention until she meets Brandon. He's nothing like the Riker character she loves to hate. He's combative, socially awkward, and off-putting. But he's so adorable. Phoenix and Brandon keep running into each other, each time more heated than the next. With three days of convention to get through, will they get past the hostility and find what they know is there? Attraction and perhaps love? This is the premise of Stardate a free e-story for my newsletter subscribers, available on February 1st. If you like Trekkie romance, romantic comedy, or just like to see a little grumpy sunshine trope, this story is for you. Go to ymnelson.com backslash subscribe and get your free copy.